Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. My family thinks I'm crazy. A podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I got them in a Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. On today's episode, we have Travis Matier, a.k.a. William Skink from the Zoomtown podcast. He's also from Missoula, Montana. And I had only heard about this place maybe a couple times in my life. But it's absolutely fascinating all of the strange connections that we got into in the place that he lives. Out there in the mountains of Montana. Synchronistically, Michael Wan and I have been doing a new podcast called Your Handbook for the Apocalypse. And Michael reached out. He said, hey, here's my friend Travis. You should talk to him. The magical conversation that you're about to hear is totally synchronistic. Be sure to subscribe on Patreon. You know what's good for you. Subscribe on Patreon. Subscribe on Rockfin. Show us some love on Rockfin, folks. We got thousands of people listening to the podcast now. We should have thousands of people in those places. And as of right now, we only have 220 people following us on Rockfin. We can raise that up. We can totally raise that up. Patreon, we got 27 going strong but guess what i'm proud to announce that we have reached 100,000 downloads thank you so much to everybody who's listened to the podcast and helped me achieve that milestone within the year anniversary which is coming up so be tuned be uh ready stay tuned Okay, and be tuned, be tuned in, all right, to the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast on October 5th, 10-5. That is the one-year anniversary of this show, and the 11th is the 27th anniversary of my birth. 
So celebrate with me, folks. Second year is going to be even better. It's, it's an ongoing effort to understand what's happened to Sean. It gets really, it gets really murky and very weird. The, the man that was alleged to have assaulted Sean, Johnny Lee Perry, that man is now dead. He was shot and killed by sheriff's deputies on August 29th. I mentioned that date because that's the date that Liz, um, Liz Frazier, the Cocteau Twins, was born. We started seeing these institutions like the FBI, DEA, we started seeing them become less and less trustworthy toward us these critical assets for developing cases. And they attributed that to the um, crack cocaine epidemic in the 80s. But here I am reading a story about how the Montana Freemen were all holed up in Roundup, Montana, okay? And the FBI knew that they were about to move to Jordan, to Jordan, Montana, and to kick it up a notch with their terrorism efforts, right? They'd already been terrorizing local communities with financial fraud. I should give a final pitch for Missoula, the microcosm of the globalist agenda. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Today on the show, we have Travis M. from the Zoomtown podcast, and him and I got connected via a good friend of mine who I just podcasted with today, our new podcast, the Your Handbook for the Apocalypse on the Susquehanna Alchemy feed. And Michael, I always trust, you know, that whatever he's bringing my way, it's going to be interesting. And this particular time, he introduced me to our guest today, Travis, also Yay. known as William Skink. Travis, thank you for joining us, man. How are you today? I am doing good. I'm just doing some uh, last-minute synchro-mystic work because when we talk about this stuff and when people like Michael Wan are involved, there seems to be an acceleration in the synchronicity. So, yeah, I got a lot of stuff to, to talk about, but um, I can... Maybe just start with a quick introduction because um, no one is going to know me. I'm very new to the podcast scene, um, and so I can just start there. Be uh, that would be great. I think one thing I just want to mention before you introduce yourself further is yeah. something that Michael and I discussed a lot in meeting and off the air is this idea that like people are inspired by his work to then go and look into their local area. And I'm sure people have heard my show before. I've heard me talk about this before because it inspired yeah. me to look into Connecticut. And, you know, within a week or two of, of saying that, <laughs> here you come, you know, and I love it. You know, tell people where you're from and maybe start with, like, how you got interested in you know, before you got found Michael Wan's work and all that, maybe what woke you up to like the larger mystery and this kind of like what Mike and I have been talking about, like the apocalypse, the revealing, yeah. but you know, yeah. really like what, what woke you up, so to speak? Well, it, it's been such an interesting ride. Um, I, I'm 43 right now. So I, my birthday was September 19th and I, I actually talked to Michael on September 19th, after um, we were supposed to talk August 1st, but a uh, good synchro mystic doesn't hold to those kind of ridiculous schedules. And so I knew it was, was going to happen when it was supposed to happen. And 
Um, and so, you know, I moved to Missoula, Montana with my fiance, now my wife in 2000, um, seems like a long time ago, but that was a, a time when in Missoula, there was a lot of fires. Um, there was kind of like this riot that summer with the hell's angels it, it had come to town to party. And, um, you know, we, my wife and I both had to, had to finish college. And so we found Missoula the way a lot of people kind of run into this town. You know, we stopped here for lunch one day. Um, on our on our way to Spokane, where I was born, and where one of my cousins was getting married, and we love this town. A river runs through it, you know. The book the book says, and we decided to to move here and finish school. And so that was 2000. Um, 21 years later, three kids later, um, you know, I'm trying to kind of make sense of this new normal we all find ourselves in, and to you know, kind of get up to up to speed. I guess 9-11 woke myself up in my 20s, but um, really March 2020, when the world shut down and I realized, you know, the, the scale at which uh, institutions and large forces were moving, um, I mean, I think I entered a, a fear fog like a lot of people um, and some synchronicities having to do with um, asking the higher power for help and um, and Legos, Legos became a big part of my sort of self-care and, and sort of waking me up, which is funny, but, um, <clears throat> you know, some synchronicities just really got me waking up to the larger presence and, and something outside of the way we experience time, sending us some messages, um, and synchronicities for me have been these little signposts that I need to, to kind of follow these little threads to follow. Um, and so I've been doing that for a while, not really knowing that there was any kind of maybe systemic way to think about it or to apply it. Um, and then I heard, you know, Michael Wan on the Higher Side Chat. I'm familiar with Christopher Knowles and his work at Secret Sun. Um, and then Jason Horsley is another person that is like my trifecta of synchromystics. Um, and so I'm just really excited to kind of share my insights and to add this larger meta conversation about you know, how we navigate this new world. So... I'm getting a couple things coming through here that are definitely significant. Obviously, rivers, Missoula was very yeah. interesting. And something you mentioned when we spoke on the phone the other day is that not only is there a river that runs through the town, but there's a lake that has five rivers that receive it, the lake receives up to five rivers. Is that did I get that correctly? Glacial, yeah, Glacial Lake, Missoula. So the the, the um, geological history of this area. Um, Glacial Lake Missoula, way far in the past, was this um, significant um, sort of event when the, when the ice dam broke. I'm not sure how long, how far back in, in the geological time, time frame we're talking, but um, it really shapes in large part like the Columbia Gorge area. Um, and now we have, I think, five rivers that come into the Missoula Valley. So um, the Clark Fork River is one of the main rivers. We have the Bitterroot River. Um, the Blackfoot is sort of the famous uh, River Runs Through It um, book and movie that people might think of when they think of Missoula. Um, they also might think of like David Lynch and some other things, but um, the Alcohol, or is it Alcohana River? I, I, I always like screw it up when I, when I say it, but, but Michael's work in, t in talking about just the flow of water and some of the things that I'm looking at in Missoula, um, you know, what development and sort of gentrification are some topics right now. That, that we're grappling with and a lot of, you know, prime real estate is along the riverfront. I'm also looking into Spokane and sort of the historic development of that riverfront to get some clues into how power operates. And, and Michael's been bringing those insights that, that I don't think any people really can sort of approach without 
getting outside of the logical, you know, way of thinking about things that just help add to my, per, my, my perception of what's going on in this town. So it's just, there's so much in the mix. It's sometimes hard to kind of structure it in a way that makes sense for other people. Um, but I, I love how Michael presents his, his work and it helps people like me to just talk about it. Right, right. Yeah, the Susquehanna River certainly is Susquehanna. Yeah, Susquehanna. And you know, that even that word in itself, it one of the notable things that I found with the Susquehanna River is that that word itself comes from an Algonquin term, but it has, you know, relationship in some way to some Gaelic words. So, you know, I'm wondering oh, if, you know, the same is true in your research, if you're finding that there are certain words or names of places that have come to the forefront as significant even if you haven't understood the meaning yet like there's plenty of work like the Housatonic River is a river that comes through my area and I'm really not sure what that word means yet I should have looked it up by now but what what are your thoughts on the names of places in in your particular area I mean even Missoula sounds interesting I wonder who named that yeah there's a lot of you know obviously um, indigenous history and um, Salish Kootenai uh, language and a lot of languages that are sort of disappearing. Um, but when, when you're asking me that question, what actually comes to mind is the synchronicity that was just happening for me before we, before we started today. Um, because I, before I moved to Missoula, I actually spent a very brief amount of time, about uh, nine months, 10 months, um, living in Colorado Springs. And that place is creepy as hell. Uh, Tesla had a laboratory there for a reason. Um, and then I actually worked in, in Manitou Springs. And it's funny it's funny this is coming up because I, I was talking to someone on the street just, you know, again, about 30, 40 minutes ago, we were talking about dishwashing jobs and how kick-ass it is to be a good dishwasher, you know, how every restaurant needs to respect the dishwashing work. I was a dishwasher in Manitou Springs, and um, I, I wish you, I could show you this, this little uh, visual aid I have with me, but um, there's a in, a, in an antique mall here in Missoula, I ran across this figure. It's this creepy little figure. It's got a... Um, like a boy head and a pig body. Um, it's all black with red eyes. And, and it, I was going to bring it in terms of talking about the term discernment and how beyond just, you know, picking up on synchronicities, you need to listen to sort of that inner voice or the intuition or, you know, that, that sort of guidance that you can get if you're in tune with that. Um, and I was just looking up the artist that makes these creepy little figures because he does um, art posters as well. And I had no idea that this guy was based in Manitou Springs. Um, and Manitou, I mean, the, the, the history of that area, um, I think the legend is there was some kind of almost like a biblical Cain and Abel um, death, but between two indigenous tribes. And, and there was a murder and it poisoned the water. Um, and so, you know, the way this kind of relates to Missoula and just the flow of water um, I initially brought Michael, I, I hired him, you know, kind of because I wanted to talk to him about some of the synchronicities with, um, some investigative work I was doing in Missoula. And, um, there was a, the death of, of a homeless man by the name of Sean Stevenson, uh, here in Missoula, January 3rd, 2020, he was assaulted at the homeless shelter where I used to work. Um, Sean, his dad was in the air force Academy in Colorado Springs. Sean spent some time in Colorado Springs. Um, and so these are the kind of things that, that for me, I mean, of course there, there, there's personal resonance and that's what synchronicities are coincidence that you bring your own meaning to, but this is the kind of stuff that I just cannot deny. 
um, that, that these these themes are being brought up. And, and Manitou, there's a lot of a lot of etymology with with that word. Um, there's a lot of interesting things I think at play, and, and we're just all picking up little signals um, along the way. So so when you ask about, <laughs> that's my long response to um, asking about uh, words and language, and, and I think how you can go down little rabbit holes just based on that. Absolutely. I mean, you're connecting to what I've been researching with the Hammonasset line. It goes uh-huh. through a spot in New York that's called the Wall of the Manitou, right? Okay. Which is these very, very tall, in comparison to the land in front of it, towards the east of it, very tall mountains, the Catskill Mountains. And the indigenous people there referred to this place as like the 12 houses and there was rites of passage associated with, you know, getting to the highest peak out of these 12 mountain peaks. And this, Interesting. this author, Glenn Kreisberg, he talks about this Hammonasset line briefly in his book, Spirit in the Stone. And... You know, he mentions uh-huh. that it's curious how the line goes from Montauk Island, right? Which yes, I was we, just going to say, we, we Montauk. All, we all know, you yep. know, the strange stuff there. And yep, then yep, that yep. goes through the Manitou Wall and then up to the Keesinaw Peninsula off of Wisconsin huh. into Lake Superior, which is known for copper copper bay it's like a copper ancient copper mines were allegedly there but there's also an island off the coast of this point called manitow island and the hammonasset line goes straight through it according to glenn's work so yeah this is so interesting for us because we're looking into the hammonasset line it goes right through the state that i live in connecticut and as you know, it makes its way over Long Island Sound. It goes through like 15 to 16 different wow. towns. It goes over, I mean, plenty of water, okay. rivers. And so, yeah, there's definitely, I mean, more questions than answers at this point in time for us. But I just think, yeah, that's definitely a big connection. And the word itself, I've learned, has something to do with, you know, the creator. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, let me add to that because, um, so- so the, the Wilma is this building, um, and part of my conversation with, with Michael Wan was about the Chapel of the Dove, um, and the Chapel of the Dove is something I had no idea about living here for 20 years until someone mentioned it a couple months ago, and I've been doing kind of a deep dive, and it's this kind of weird place in the basement of the Wilma um, where Edward Sharp, the, the co-owner at the time, would show movies. This guy really loved pigeons. He raised a pigeon. Um, very kind of odd and interesting, and and the Wilma, the building, the, the current owner um, became sort of a lightning rod because of his potential use of public money um, to build something along the Clark Fork River. He was going to um, help build this giant convention center. It was not supported very well. Um, his name is Nick Jacoda. Um, Nick Jacoda came to Missoula from Wisconsin. Um, Nick Jacoda's dad was Joe Jacoda. Um, this guy is very rich. He tried to buy a senator seat. Um, Joe Chicota was so unpopular, as was the other guy that was running at the time, I think this was in the 90s, that a dark horse candidate by the name of Feingold ended up winning and rising to power in Wisconsin. And so, <laughs> you know, this guy, Nick Chicota, um, is now this sort of local uh, Missoula oligarch who um, he owns Logjam Presents. Um, he controls most of the cultural production in terms of music. So if you want to have a show here in Missoula, you're going to have to deal with uh, Nick Chicota's outfit. 
Um, he's gotten a lot of public money, a lot of bailout money because of the pandemic. Um, and so this is one of the guys that I'm looking into that I'm putting my neck out to sort of expose that, you know, gets me kind of interested to lawyer up when it comes to protecting myself. So when you mentioned Wisconsin, that's where my mind goes immediately. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah. If, if not just for the, you know, the namesake. Yeah. I think the, the Manitow is certainly important. And I noticed that the Clark Fork river is, is on a place called council grove and you know this theme of like, you know council location a place that's significant a significant meeting place is there anything oh, that is into over there are you kidding me you're you're hilarious this is this is this is this is fun um um that's one of my favorite places to go take my dog um i have a newfoundland by the name of abby <laughs> wow. um and so i get you have no idea how many poems i i write poetry i get poetry when i go out there almost every time um, and I'm not um, sort of egocentric enough to claim that I'm 100% the author of all my poems. I get help the way I get help in a lot of ways, you know, guidance. And so, yeah, Council Grove is one of those places where I go and I write poems. So I'm glad you brought that up. It's a beautiful place. Anyone, anyone coming through should definitely check it out. And as you and I had that conversation um, on the phone about, you know, doing more um, work to bring people into sort of your own backyard, um, I think those are the kind of areas that, um, that people need to, to be more aware of in terms of some of the magic in these um, landscapes and locations. I'm so glad you brought up Cancel Grill. That's great. Well, it's funny. I'm just like, folks should know we didn't prepare that at all. I'm, I just no, was like, no. oh, I don't know enough about where Missoula is. So I opened up my Google Maps, you know, oh, God, bringing Google into this. Of course. And I just am like, all right, where's the Clark Fork River? And I found it. And then I found, you know, Council Grove State Park naturally. But yeah, in the same, you know, respect, what I'm looking into with the Hammond Asset Line, it crosses over many different state parks and then connecting it all to Michael wow. Lawn's work. We just spoke about it today. I think this episode will come out after that episode's released, episode three of your handbook for the apocalypse. But yeah, the, the yeah. Hammond Asset Line crosses the Susquehanna River. So it's like, you know, there are these definite connections and, you know, I think it's, it's like what Michael Wan was talking about, like a, a Gaia matrix, so to speak, or like a mm-hmm. organic network that energy is conducted and sent along. And it's no coincidence that they build these places like the Wilma Theater along places that have an energetic resonance. Are there any other places in this area in Missoula or in surrounding areas? Uh, this is, this is going to be ridiculous. Um, how do you spell Hammond? Um, is it, is it H A M M O N D? It's uh, a Hammond So it's spelled H A M M O N A S S E T. It's a, I would imagine it's probably like okay. a, a, an Algonquin or Pequot word or some, you know, some kind of tribes word that, because the, there's a lake that's named Hammonasset, and there was a man named Hammonasset. In- and some of this stuff, you know, when I talked to Michael, I was like, you know, you can almost like um, turn this on at, at too high a, a decibel and, and see too many connections and synchronicities. And um, a lot of the free association that we're doing is, you know, blowing my mind, but it's also just kind of throwing things out there. And, um, you know, I, I try not to read necessarily too much into it. So, um, for example, um, the Hammond building, so H-A-M-M-O-N-D, has just come up for me recently, uh, again, because of the Chapel of the Dove and looking into the history of the Wilma, um, Edward Sharp, this man who raised pigeons and loved pigeons, 
um, well, this guy named Bill Coffey does not like pigeons, um, really hated the, the pigeons. And there was some controversy back in the 80s about these pigeons because I think they were shitting all over his building, the Hammond building. So Bill Coffey owned the Hammond building um, right next to the Wilma. And, and Bill Coffey, his family, um, I think they go back to like Miles City. So this is sort of like old Montana money. They, um, I believe, started the Stockman's Bank. And again, this is one of the things up in the present day, we're looking at the way the Stockman's Bank uses things like tax increment financing. Uh, obnoxious term that's, that's sort of used like average Joe repellent. You know, you, these fancy terms that people don't even want to think about because it's like, ooh. But, um, you know, Stockman's Bank, this is one of the things that I'm looking into. The history of just the institutions in your own town, in your own city, you know, there's enough to learn just in your own backyard that really uh, this work needs to be done. More people need to be doing this kind of work. And if there's ley lines and um, hammonet lines, you know, or other, other sort of more esoteric maybe layerings to that, that's just even more fun in my estimation. Um, it, it enlivens and expands my sense of the world. And this is really what, what kind of gets me going in a positive direction. Um, whereas it's easy to get mired down and sort of mercury retrograde before coming here. I just had a nice blowout argument with my wife, um, because you have to get these things out apparently when they start building and building and, um, you know, we're talking stuff out, but man, just keeping relationships together right now is so hard. Um, but I think this work is really important because it synchromistic work from my perspective can be healing in, in a lot of ways. If you're doing it right and you're trying to kind of resolve maybe some of your own inner conflicts, traumas. Um, I think there are ways of doing it that are really positive. Um, but I think there can be, there can be ways that you can get derailed or distracted. Are you familiar at all with the, the work of Jason Horsley? I mentioned him as one of my, one of my favorite synchromystics. Yeah. Only briefly, you know what? I, I was introduced or recommended that I listen to him and uh, yeah, I, I should go back and give him a, another chance. Cause I don't think I, I really uh, gave him a fair shake now that I really get put on the he, spot, but synchronistically, yeah, this fits into one of my theories about resistance. You know, you have resistance yeah. to people and then for some reason it comes up later on after you dismiss it and you're like, Oh, okay, this is coming back for a reason. So please go on. Tell yeah. us about Jason. Yes, yes, yes. He he was one of the first guys I really kind of sought out as I was starting my podcast. Um, and he has since really pulled back from from a lot of stuff. I think you can subscribe to some of his insights. But um, I first ran across him at this website called Rigorous Intuition. So um, when I was first getting introduced to synchro mysticism, this goes back to 2009. Um, Jake Coatsy, was that the guy, one of the main guys back then, was sort of watching movies um, finding the symbolism in movies, like the resonator actors and actresses that seem to um, like hint at these larger symbolic movements of, of these secret societies and stuff. Um, a lot of that work was looking at film. And Jason Horsley, um, his family is pretty sort of well-known in the, in the UK. His brother, Sebastian, famously killed himself through alcohol, drug abuse. Um, and, and then, uh, Jason lived for a while in Canada, pretty close to actually where, where I live in Missoula, um, running a secondhand store. And, and he has really worked sort of understanding his own trauma and he's taken on, you know, figures like Alistair Crowley and Whitley Strieber and really has, he's done some amazing work. I've read a lot. I think his last four books, um, are just incredible. And, and so, but he warned me about um, synchromysticism in our conversation in a way that I hadn't even thought about it. 
And one of the essays in a, in a collection of books that I, that I ran across that I, I realized he was in this, this collection the day before I was going to interview him, because again, this is how, how it seems to work. Um, his warning was don't use these synchronicities to create a second matrix. You know, you're thinking you're getting out of the first matrix. Well, you might just be creating a second matrix. And if you're just sitting watching movies, if that's your sense of synchromysticism is looking for symbolism in movies and not like going out in the world and meeting people and talking to people in meet space, you know, I, I think that was his, his warning was to kind of just check yourself on what kind of, you know, focus you're actually bringing to this kind of work. And I, that, that warning has really helped me um, to not create a second matrix. I don't want to create another entanglement um, for myself to get lost in. So I have three kids and a wife and that's, that's number one, you know, that needs to be the focus. If this is really truly taking me away from what's important in my life, then I'm not going to be doing it. Well, and I think that's why, you know, and this isn't to challenge you in any way, but I think that's why all of our questions have been about actual real places. Like I, yeah. I totally understand why you're citing that. Cause if people type that phrase in, you might see that. And Michael does great breakdowns of movies, but you know, I think something that he's been talking to me about lately is, is doing less and less of that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, personally, I didn't really come into that decision through synchromysticism. I just don't yeah. like TV. I gave up video games <laughs> and I, I yeah. just found that like that kind of stuff had no purpose in my life naturally. So Jason Horsley's message, you know, might be falling on deaf ears here, but I definitely, <laughs> I appreciate someone like him saying that I, I agree with him a hundred percent. And, you know, I have a lot of books, maybe the same could be true if I lost myself in all these books. But I think yeah. one of the things that's so cool about, you know, the way we've approached it so far, and I think the same is true for you based on what you said about Council Grove, is when you mm -hmm. actually go and visit a place and let yeah. the journey unfold in a way where you're present in the moment and your inspiration is seemingly around the corner you know there's like yeah this like anticipation that you can create and maybe it's like what you said like i don't know if you use this phrase particularly but like i would call it maybe pattern seeking where maybe people yeah. do get wrapped up but it's like if if going out and you know having a nice little day trip and you know maybe you the worst thing that happens is you spend a little extra money on gas and and maybe go out to eat at the end of the night and you should have saved money like yeah okay that's not always great but uh, getting out <laughs> in the world you know and and experiencing the real world it 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 sticks with you in a really yeah. prolific way i think there's a lot of learning people can experience and that's pretty profound in my journey just like you know you said you and your uh then fiance now wife were driving through or then girlfriend now wife were driving through missoula you know and, and just felt the magic of the river and we're like we gotta yeah. live here you know the same kind of happened with me about uh, a year and a and a few months ago when i drove by the Susquehanna River, you know, and I didn't know Michael on a yeah. personal level. I just listened to his podcast at that point. And, you know, I made a connection with the river in a way. And, and it's just really shocked me how quickly I w got thrown into it all. But it was meant to be in that way. So I don't yeah. know. I mean, I think the synchronicities, that's kind of my message that I would add to it is like people should use their heart as the as the real guide to 
what their intuition is pushing them to do and anything that's going to take you out of the real world like video games it's something that a lot of my friends and and people i grew up yeah. with yeah. you know deal with and then like movies too i mean never really were my thing particularly i did i do like some movies but you know, I'm not a big movie guy. Like people ask me on the show sometimes, like, have you seen this movie or this movie? I'm like, ah, no, you know, I had Jay Dyer on. He's like the ultimate movie breakdown guy. Hollywood He's knows fantastic. it all, you know? Yeah. And, and I told him right off the bat, I'm like, listen, I don't know any movies that well enough to have that conversation. I want to get down <laughs> to the, the real meat and potatoes, who did what, where are the drugs coming in. So that's, Absolutely. And I think, think that's, that's kind of you know, not to take things too far off of what you got to offer, because you definitely, you know, you have so much more to say than just stuff about movies. So I'm surprised to hear you say that. I just wanted to to bring that up. Well, no, and go ahead. It's, it's, it's funny because, um, you know, another huge, uh, huge sort of awakening part of my life was the movie Donnie Darko. I mean, mm. Donnie, Donnie Darko is one of the most important um, sort of pieces of media um, in my in my life. Um for a lot of like really strong personal reasons, but um, you know, I don't want to dissuade the idea of, of, of getting information um, from, from films like predictive programming is real. Um, I, I've been going back to like John Carpenter. Uh, I mean, I'm using uh, movies now as research. I'm researching it, but mm-hmm. I think um, the unhealthier way that I used to relate to movies was um, the way that I also used alcohol as a crutch. So I've been without alcohol for a year and three months um, and that's been such a, a blessing in my life to not have that as sort of this um, dependency that that I was kind of using as this cliche artist that wanted to apparently suffer and, um, you know, drink my Boda box every night, um, make it really light by the end of the night, and then uh, not necessarily remember, you know, what was, what was going on at the end of the night. So, um, you know, in terms of looking at movies, I started to realize as I was getting away from that influence that you can co-create this dark reality if you're not um, approaching it by doing the inner work first and getting some kind of inner balance. And so I still look at Netflix. I still look at a lot of this, um, this stuff out there as, as important to acknowledge because it is controlling a lot of people. Um, uh, Jason Horsley really looks at film now as sorcery, you know, and I think uh, neurologically your brain doesn't necessarily recognize what it's seen as not real. And so in a lot of ways, you know, this prepping ourselves, um, with this like, trauma-induced mind control. I mean, this is trauma-induced mind control is something that I've been sort of studying um, unknowingly for a long time. Um, working at the homeless shelter, I've been in close proximity to people that have experienced serious trauma. And I, part of my work now continues to be talking to people on the streets. Meth in Missoula is out of control. Um, there is a systemic uh, reluctance to do much about it, and it's pretty dark in a lot of ways that will sound crazy if I get into details, which I'm not right now. But, um, I mean, that really was what I brought Michael in um, initially to help me understand is, is what was going on with the synchronicities relating to um, a mayor that we've had for 16 years that, um, that we're really trying to expose. Um, I mean, the, the corruption in a liberal town like Missoula where people are just so resistant because of their ideology to not really look at what's happening. And now to have a pandemic, you know, and our, our mayor um, on CNN next to Don Lemon, you know, and, and people in this town really, really believing that there's some, you know, terrible, awful crisis in the hospitals when I can literally reference um, Department of Health and Human Services data. You know, on my podcast with my co-host yesterday, 
we, we on, on air, we're looking at the data and we're like, there's available beds. There's this many COVID patients, you know, but it's in this new normal, in this crazy world we live in, um, you know, this is the kind of sort of um, cognitive shutdown that's, that's happening for a lot of people as they are accepting this like fear-based, I don't know what it is, but it's, I mean, it's beyond mind control at this point, but it's, it's freaky, but I'm trying to keep a positive out, outlook. Um, cause I see a lot of opportunities, but, um, it can be very hard. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, no, I'm, I'm so glad you made that point about movies as sorcery. And yeah, yeah. I, again, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of ashamed of myself for dismissing Jason Horsley based on one interview. Cause I, I remember <laughs> hearing an inver- an interview he did and I, for whatever reason, it rubbed me the wrong way. And I just like, you know, so use that as an example, folks don't always judge a book by its cover. He's very so British. He's very British and very kind of quiet. Um, and yeah, I, it's interesting because I, I, I saw his writing before I, I listened to him on interviews, um, and rigorous intuition. I don't know if you're familiar with that website, but there's a lot of, I mean, this was sort of like conspiracy, uh, central for, for a while back in like 2000, maybe six, seven, eight. Um, a lot of that stuff has fallen off, but, um, I mean, there was some really interesting, like primary information that was coming out through websites like that at the time. And it's, it's interesting using discernment. Um, I, I mentioned this uh, Jermaine, uh, what was his name? Jermaine something, the guy that does the art, art posters that is based in Manitou. Um, I wanted to touch back on that really quickly because um, discernment, getting a gut feeling is really important. People have got to listen to that. And I think I've benefited from my wife's stronger connection to her gut feeling. Um, we were in Costa Rica before we uh, started our family, you know, consciously like, let's go have a, month long travel in Costa Rica, you know, blast. And so she did a lot of the, the planning scheduling and we were in Lake Arenal, which is by a volcano staying at this hostel that she had scheduled. And we just like arrive at this hostel. Um, no one's around and there's a Doberman on a, on a chain barking and really kind of weird vibe. And, um, you know, my wife at one point, we never, never checked in this place, but she just like comes into the room from smoking a cigarette outside and was like, we have to get out of here. We have to leave. I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, I don't know. We just, we got to go. Um, and so later in that trip, um, in that same town, we found out from someone that a Catholic priest who had been moved around the States a bunch because he apparently was molesting children. Um, they, they basically found this little town in Costa Rica to hide him out. And Costa Rican authorities were trying to kick him out because he was teaching the locals English, you know, how nice. And so for whatever reason, I don't know what happened on that property, but my wife picked up on something. And in a similar fashion, this, this creepy little, you know, pig body boy head, I see this object in a local store here in Missoula, and I now have a better understanding of who is selling it. And I'm not going to, this is just a bit of speculation, so I'm not going to get into some details, but, um, you know, he's a retired professor uh, in media arts, and so I've talked to him. And he gave me a documentary that he worked on. I'm working on a documentary, so I'm kind of interested in making connections. And I watched this documentary. And it's a French photographer. Um, pretty intense um, p- images, pretty intense pictures. And there's this one image that flashes. And it's a very inappropriate image. I have, you know, if I have to question how old the girl is, um, it's, it's problematic, right? And so for me, that confirms, you know, this guy who's in academia, he's a professor, um, he made this kind of film. He can show it to his students. Um, and 
because I've worked at a shelter, I'm kind of familiar with grooming behavior. Um, this is how some of these predators operate. Um, and I think we're dealing with this on a meta level. So this predator then, and this is speculation, again, I don't know this to be true, but my gut feeling is he has done some bad things. And when he shows a film like this and a student maybe notices it, that's his opportunity to test boundaries, to explore where there might be vulnerabilities for him to exploit. Um, and now he's retired in Missoula. So, hey, I hope he's not who I think he is, but um, my intuition is telling me that I would not want him around my kids. And so I think people have to get in touch with some of that inner, inner voice um, because there are people in your own circles to be more aware of and, and, and to be more concerned about. I mean, I, working at the shelter, I really got more familiar with like the, the sex predators, not necessarily that stereotype of the guy in the van. Um, a prominent psychologist that I, that I worked with who I knew had people committed because he had that kind of power, you know, he was arrested for child porn. Um, and so, you know, this is the time to really be aware that there are predators um, and that the system itself is run by sociopaths. And, um, you know, people like Jason understand that. They're, his family was close to the Fabian Society back in the UK. Um, and the Fabian Society is one of these social engineering, long-term, incremental, you know, shaping society. And so I, I think the more that we understand how these forces work, the more we can do the work in our own backyards just to keep our loved ones safe. So that's kind of a bit of a rambling answer, I know, to some of the stuff, but that's that's how I roll. <laughs> no, no, no. You just laid out a lot of information. I mean, definitely more relevant to those in Montana. I hope it reaches people out there. Yeah, people don't listen to me in this town right now. I, I mean, some people do, but... Well, you're um, on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, so we got to ask nice. you, does your family think you're crazy? <laughs> yes. Ye yes, yes. Um, Mom kind of is a little a little more sympathetic. Um, Rachel Maddow has my dad's brain um, in her like pocket. Um, my wife's on the same page in a, in a lot of ways. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard not to sound crazy talking about some of this stuff, you know? Um, I, I haven't even mentioned like transhumanism and Luciferian stuff, but you know, cause that really starts making it sound crazy, but um, I find it fascinating. And, and one of the ways that I've tried to explain to people, I'm like, Hey, listen, you don't have to believe this shit. What if, people with power and money what if they believe this shit maybe you should take it seriously if they believe this shit you know if george bush is saying gog and magog and you know if they're talking about these um babylonian sort of mithraic you know you might want to take it seriously because i think they might be operating on some kind of old world blood sacrifice shit um and uh my kids aren't going to succumb to that kind of nasty sorcery so but yeah. now I do sound crazy. Thanks. No, no, I, I'm right there with you. I think that, you know, when you That's mention fun. the Bushes and Gog and Magog, there's another synchronicity. I mean, if you, if you, you know, if you look at Ross's his work about alchemy and how they've tried to do all these inversions in an uh -huh. attempt to change and swap the royal bloodlines that, all this stuff. I don't want to get into that. That's a lot of Ross's work. People can buy his book. We talked about him plenty of times. But either way. But we're swimming. We're swimming in all of this. I mean, it's a yeah. big soup that we're in. You know? nope. Yeah. And I and I wanted to make the point is like I, too, have rubbed up against some institutions that seem shady as yeah. fuck. And people who've listened to the show know, <laughs> you know, who I'm talking about. Yale University, Skull and Bones, mm -hmm. all these organizations that not in any sort of professional way, but I just being a, a delivery driver, bakery, I've 
happen to go into some of these buildings and see it from the inside mm-hmm. meet some people so it was interesting and and i'm glad i had those experiences but i've talked a lot about that on the show before i don't want to get bogged down in those details but i did want to point well, out it was synchronistic now my my yeah. my thought is to go back to a couple things you brought up yeah yeah you, yep. you mentioned you know this person who you maybe knew or had uh, association with in some way through your job with the homeless shelter. How did his disappearance or murder connect with, you know, this larger mystery? Have you looked into that further? Is that all there is to say about it now? What, how can yeah, we no, I think, on I, that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my first interview was with um, Sean Stevenson's sister. So uh, Jay Shell and Angela, um, I mean, I, I launched the podcast on January 5th, 2021, because that was a year um, to the day that he was removed from life support. So, you know, I, I, I put in my notice to leave my job January 3rd. Um, Sean was attacked January 3rd. Um, our mayor actually took office for the first time on January 3rd. And, and so, you know, all three of us, Sean, John and me, um, you know, we all have alcohol challenges in our lives. Um, Sean, you know, that I think was part of his vulnerability within the homeless uh, system that night that he was attacked. Um, John Engen, our alcoholic mayor, disappeared for a month um, and then reemerged and relaunched his last uh, uh, reelection campaign. And so, um, you know, it's, it's an ongoing effort to understand what happened to Sean uh, it gets really, it gets really murky and very weird. Um, the the man that was alleged to have assaulted Sean, Johnny Lee Perry, um, that man is now dead. He was shot and killed by sheriff deputies on August 29th. Um, I mentioned that date because that's the date that Liz, um, Liz Frazier, the Cocteau twins, was born. So I was kind of like reading Christopher Knowles, kind of anticipating something on August 29th, and. Damn it! Um, not that that has any sort of bearing, but um, for me, the death of John Lee, Johnny Lee Perry is, is pretty worrisome. Um, I've actually had two conversations with this guy who's now dead. One of them was in April, where he was telling me about being a targeted individual. I don't know if you're um, aware of sort of the TI ideas out there, um, but that topic kind of freaks me out a little bit um, because of some of the stuff that I've read and researched. But um, I had a conversation with Johnny about being a TI. Um, and it actually was a fairly positive conversation. We talked about love being a higher vibration. And, you know, I, I talked about some of the suspicions I had that he was not the primary person involved in, um, in the physical assaults against, uh, Sean Stevenson. And, and so when I saw him on August 9th, um, of this year, and you know, he was in a much more agitated state of mind, um, he was walking on West Broadway by the homeless shelter, the Pavarello center. Uh, he had his shirt off and his hands up in the air. Um, like, like pointing them to the sky, like they were guns. And so I, I parked my car and approached him and, and filmed him and talked to him, um, asked him what he was doing. He's like, I'm destroying. I'm like, what are you destroying Johnny? He's like police. Um, and there was a portion of the, of the video I haven't released yet. Um, because, you know, after I, I filmed this happening, I was alarmed at what he said. So I called 911, you know, and it took me a couple of days to actually get a response from the police and, all of this is so worrisome, um, you know, in a lot of ways that, it, you know, this, this, this young black man, I, I shouldn't have to say his race, but, you know, in, in Missoula, that's, there's a lot of virtue signaling around, a lot of donating to nonprofits around race. Um, we're about like 94% white. Um, but, 
um, here's a young black man who's saying some pretty incendiary things um, after uh, allegedly assaulting someone the year before and killing him. And he's basically just been allowed to sort of be out, out there being pretty, you know, from what I hear from other people, pretty aggressive. But after I put this footage out, um, it took me about a week. So I put the footage out on August 16th, you know, and then he turns up dead August 29th. And still to this day, it's been over a month now, the sheriff's department has not released any information about which deputies were involved. Um, he was shot uh, sort of west of town in the woods. I'm not sure how a homeless guy who didn't have a vehicle got out um, in the woods. Um, but this is where, you know, stuff like meth, you know, stuff like federal federal investigations um, into stuff like that um, can be can be kind of concerning. And, and the way I'm going to relate it, actually, to some of the synchromistic work um, one of the books that I picked up on my way back from Spokane before I talked to Michael, um, I just started reading it about four or five days ago, right? And it's called False Prophets. And this book is fascinating. It's about, about these two criminal, or not criminal, um, confidential informants. So CIs, confidential informants, um, and this, this husband and wife team um, were working this kind of CI realm back when they, they actually worked with professional CIs. And so this is like late 70s and 80s. Um, and this couple ends up um, taking a last job infiltrating the Montana Freeman. And so kind of militias are hot again. And, you know, after January 6th, after that joke, uh, the insurrection, um, there's a lot of interest in, in domestic terrorism again. But I'm reading this book about these CIs infiltrating the Montana Freeman. And it's been very interesting to hear the perspective from these people saying, hey, we started seeing these institutions like the FBI, DEA, we started seeing them become less and less trustworthy toward us, these critical assets for developing cases. And they attributed that to the um, crack cocaine epidemic in the 80s. But here I am re reading um, a story about how the Montana Freeman were all holed up in Roundup, Montana, okay? And the FBI knew that they were about to move to Jordan, um, to Jordan, Montana, um, and to kick it up a notch with their terrorism efforts, right? They'd already been terrorizing local communities with um, financial fraud. I had no idea the Montana Freeman were involved in the level of crazy financial fraud um, schemes and false paper and all this stuff. I mean, it was really quite extensive. And the FBI had this couple infiltrating this group for months and months. And the FBI knew that this this group was about to re relocate in a, in a much easy, easier to defend sort of fortress. And the FBI just let them do it. They just let them do it. And when did they do it? Um, it was September 28th, 1995. And so I'm reading this last night on September 28th, you know, and, and they, this morning, September 29th, you know, I'm reading, I'm finishing up this, this chapter and it's just like, wow, this is a very interesting perspective because I'm thinking about how law enforcement is currently working with um, confidential informants as part of my concern is that they might be using homeless people as like throwaway people. And, um, and so it's been really interesting to just have run across this book and to be reading this book and then to be reading the book about this thing that's happening on the same day, you know, uh, 16 years ago or however many years ago it is, I'm not good with numbers. Um, but it's just, it's crazy. Um, and uh, again, I've rambled for a bit, so I, I will stop and, and let you respond to all that. No, please don't ever feel like you need to stop. We love it. Keep going. I My heart goes out to everybody in that position of homelessness, and it does concern me that that might be going on. I think, you know, the whole 
structure of society is stratified based on class and then they give us this you know illusion of a race war when really it's a class war and it's you know a system of of you know this elite system that encourages corruption and encourages deception and manipulation and 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 people create these pseudo monopolies of trust and yeah I, i think you know it's just I mean, I, my heart goes out to you, especially for being brave enough to look into this stuff. I mean, in a place like Montana, yeah. you know, when there's a lot of open space, you know, it's like, I'm sure there's, <laughs> there's, you know, a lot of people that carry weapons around there because it is the kind of place that, you know, you can just go missing, I'm sure. Yeah. Are you familiar with the, the show Yellowstone? Because that that is a really highly sophisticated uh, narrative device that Kevin Costner is putting out there for people. Um, and it, it's I think it's one of the more amazing stories out there worth, worth checking out, even though, again, you know, if you're wasting too much time just watching the screen, get out, take a walk with the dog. But um, but Yellowstone brings up um, a lot of interesting narratives and, you know, people going missing on the reservation is a big one right now. Um, you know, the Gabby, the Gabby situation, right. Missing uh, white girl is, is the situation that is getting some, some headlines. Um, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff now with her having like done that, that uh, music video when she was 14 and all this weird stuff. But um, in, in Missoula, there was a missing uh, indigenous woman, uh, Jermaine Charlo, another Jermaine, Jermaine Charlo went missing. And so there's been a podcast about her going missing. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that I get frustrated about is that um, I know a lot about the homeless infrastructure behind the scenes. I mean, having worked at the homeless shelter, I was involved in putting in place some of these filters, you know, this uh, screening process and, and so I'm actually very aware of some of the detailed aspects of, of what we can do and what we can't do. And so um, as people just come through, the, the transient population is different than the year-round homeless population. There's a lot of subgroups. Uh, there's a lot of just, you know young street kids, and there's um, people on disability and people that should be in nursing homes. And I mean, it's just a very sort of complicated stew of stuff. Um, and, and within that, though, there's a lot of money that's moving around. So... Um, and, and our, our local power establishment, you know, they're quote unquote liberal, they're neoliberal. And in a lot of ways, they're using homeless people to hide behind because here's a black man that was attacked by another black man in the homeless shelter. Um, I've got some very specific questions about that. I have a podcast interview with the, the sisters. Um, can I get any traction locally? Hardly, you know, there's a, a nonprofit called the Montana Human Rights Network. Um, I've tried to get them interested. I know the co-director, uh, I went to college with her. She stepped down in February, but um, I don't even know if they've even listened to the interview. You know, they're too busy talking about Afghan refugees. And, I, and I'm, I'm sitting here like, you know, I was criticizing the fact that Missoula became a location for international refugee resettlement, not because I'm a hateful, xenophobic, um, you know, bigot. It's because I worked at a homeless shelter and I knew the 5% vacancy rate in our rental market meant that it was already difficult to get into this town. And so when you bring people in with needs and they don't have rental history or credit or someone that can co-sign their lease, it, it actually is tough to get them into housing. And, um, and so I've sort of, I almost feel like I'm a radical conservative now um, because I am white. I am a man. I have a penis. Sorry. Um, and, and I'm in this situation where it's like I used to be a progressive blogger, but now I'm in these situations where I'm like, I don't want my kids wearing a mask at school. 
Um, they're, my 13 year old is not going to get a, a, a jab. Sorry. You know, uh, I'm not getting a jab, you know? And, and so all these like former allies, my like artist friends and all people in the nonprofit world, it's just like, ah, Travis is exposing the shit. Um, he doesn't want to get a jab. He's doing this. He's doing that. You know, it's just, it's an interesting place for me to be in this town right now. Um, after, you know, working and, and living here for so long and knowing so much about the local landscape and, and trying to expose it at this level and just running into so much noise and craziness now. Um, it's, it's fascinating. So any opportunity I get to blab on uh, with like-minded people, it's so nice. This is, this is kind of, um, on informal therapy for me, you know, in a lot of ways. So I, I so appreciate this opportunity. It's been kicking ass to have this kind of conversation. I love it. I agree, man. I'm blown away at the level of detail and the mission that you're on, man, because I, I respect it. And I think you're very brave for getting down Thank to you. the truth. And that's what this is really all about is, you know, looking at yeah. reality and instead of complaining about what's going on on a global level with the globalists, it's like <laughs> those people are in your backyard. Those globalists, they have yeah. vacation homes. They have, you know, they, they have towns that they're from. They love, you know, we need to clean up our communities so those people don't have free reign over our, our country. And, and Ooh, it, I haven't even told you about I should give a final pitch for Missoula, the microcosm of the globalist agenda. Should I give a, a, a nice pitch to kind of to really put on the radar for your please, listeners yeah, um, why they should be interested in Missoula? So uh, I've framed this a couple times um, as I'm kind of making the pitch and, and trying to um, get more opportunities to be guests on people's podcasts and to talk about this, this craziness. But um, we have north of us uh, in, in Arlie, this, this little town in Arlie, there's a Buddha garden. And I, I don't know what her, her new name is, but her old name is Linda Pritzker. And so currently the state of Illinois is run by the Pritzkers. So the Pritzkers are one of those big names, like the Bronsons of Nexium fame. Um, and so Linda Pritzker is like the black sheep of the billionaire Pritzker family. And so she's up north in Arlie, right, waiting for the Dalai Lama to show up. She's built a helicopter pad up there. South of us, we have the Rocky Mountain Lab. And so that's a, a biosecurity level four lab um, where this guy named Fauci, um, his mentor, Maurice Hilleman, that's like his stomping grounds, right? So south of us in the Bitterroot Valley, um, Fauci's mentor um, is hanging out. Um, I think he's dead, but um, metaphorically speaking, right? And then we have the current president of our university. So the University of Montana that was focused on by John Krakauer in his book, um, Rape. Um, about our sort of rape scandal and the fact that um, rapes happen and our um, authorities don't seem to give a shit. Um, and so the University of Montana is headed by Seth Bodner. Seth Bodner is a sort of Rhodes Scholar, West Point grad um, kind of guy. His wife just happened to be into telemedicine, you know, very convenient. Um, his wife also is buddies with Jim Messina. And so Jim Messina helped get Obama reelected in 2012. And then hopped over the pond and was like, hey, let's get this Brexit thing going. Sounds like a good idea. So Jim Messina pals with um, Seth's wife. And, and so, I mean, you just have this, like, this stew of stuff. Up north in Kalispell, um, we've got uh, Mike Guggen's a billionaire. Uh, he came from California. There's rumors that he uses private security and is, um, likes, likes the girls pretty young. Uh, you can do what you want when you're a billionaire. Um, and then we have, like, David Lynch, right, has some Missoula origins. Um, and so it just kind of goes on. There's actually a lot of, um, sort of big names that can kind of be, um, brought into this Missoula fold. So I, I think this Missoula zoom town thing is definitely something for people to kind of keep on their radar. Um, and I'm going to help kind of do that. 
in, in, in my conversations that I have. So well, um, let's, let's just focus in. I have a couple of things that you've mentioned yeah. that I'm really super interested in. So yeah, there's a David Lynch and then mm-hmm. B, the Chapel of the Dove. So take that wherever you'd like, but I'd like to know further about both of those and how David Lynch, because I'm sure there's something weird about him because his, his cinema is totally different than anything I've ever seen. Yeah, I'll probably you know piss lots of people off. Um, I actually had to stop watching Fire Walk With Me recently, and so I, I've collected a lot of David's uh, Lynchian um, film, books, I mean, he's got some interesting uh, companion pieces to Twin Peaks. There's like this uh, mock diary um, that, that Laura has. I'm looking at it now. It's uh, the secret diary of, of Laura Palmer. And and so David Lynch, I don't know if there's a, um, a lot of solid information connecting him to Missoula. Um, the Wilma building, I think there is some, some sense that maybe he had some association with the Wilma building, but um, I'm not too familiar with, with what, the, the time Lynch spent in Missoula. I would love other people that know more to to help educate me if there's people that know some of this stuff. But um, the the Chapel of the Dove it really seems to be this this really interesting interesting place. Um, Edward Sharp was a very interesting character, and he had connections. Um, I think in the '60s and '70s um, to that counterculture scene, and so Missoula very much was one of these countercultural places um, to hang out in Montana. Um, in a primarily sort of, you know, red conservative um, rural state, you know, Missoula was, I think, one of these places that um, people gravitated towards. Um, we have a pretty good MFA program, and Richard Hugo was the poet that established that back in the 60s. He was from White Center in, um, outside of Seattle. And so, you know, this is the thread that I'm wanting to, to follow further. Um, what, what development has happened along the riverfront, the Wilma specifically, um, what kind of uh, sort of cultural production has, has come out of this? You know, David Lynch, for me, um, seems to be playing out some pretty creepy incest fantasies. Um, I'm not a big fan of his work. I'm not a big fan of, um, you know, what what Hollywood supports in terms of predictive programming. Um, you know, I, I used to like his work a lot more when I was younger before I kind of took a, a broader understanding of maybe what movies are, are, are doing to people. Um, but I think Lynchian stuff, I think David Lynch, his work is important to consider. Um, even his, his wrap up of the Twin Peaks series, um, I think it's episode eight where he talks about um, stuff going on with, um, this is like, you know, white sands and the, and the nuclear uh, bomb detonation. I really think this plays into um, the deeply esoteric uh, occult manipulation of the world. Um, I, you, we mentioned, you know, Montauk. I've been reading a lot recently about Montauk. Um, I have a strong connection for some reason to, to Pennsylvania that I don't really understand. Um, I get a lot of clothes from Philadelphia, from this cool boutique called Delicious Boutique. Um, Sean Stevenson was uh, born in Pittsburgh. Um, uh, Sean's family, they, they had a church in Pittsburgh at, at one point that um, was used in the filming of Dogma, which is really interesting um, because when we talk about movies, uh, Dogma and Alanis Morissette, you know, she, she plays a pretty central God role in that. Um, Alanis Morissette pops up in a movie I recently watched about Philip K. Dick. Uh, it's an interpretation of uh, Radio Free Album. And that movie blew me away. I think um, in terms of writers, uh, Philip K. Dick is up there in my top three, I think he was the most important prophet of the 21st century um, or 20th century. 
the guy, his 1974 experience, um, the, the pink beam of white. You know, I, I think in a lot of ways what we are dealing with is broken time. I think time really did get broken. Um, this kind of goes back to Donnie Darko as well. The idea of um, stepping out of your role, creating tangent universes. And I, I think what synchronicities themselves might be um, are efforts by people or, or forces outside of time helping us reintegrate timelines. You know, I really think there's something to this, uh, to time being broken, going back to the Philadelphia experiment. Um, you know, Alistair Crowley was deeply involved in that shit. And that guy, that guy pops up left and right. Um, I see 11s all the time. I don't know if you have that experience, like 11, 11, or just seeing ones all the time. Um, there's a lot of just weirdness surrounding all this. And I, I think it, it comes back to time and it comes back to it being broken in some sense. So that's, again, what I will just kind of throw out there in a rambled bunch of information for you. I'm following you. I love it. I think the Montauk project is something I want to get into. You said you've been studying it lately. Let's, let's talk about it. What have you found that's interesting? I mean, there's a lot of, media out there already about the Montauk experiment. I think some things are highlighted more than others, but what have you found? Is there anything that stands out? You know, it's just, um, God, it's hard to sort of pin it down. We, my, my family went on a July 4th, you know, 4th of July uh, road trip to, um, to the West coast of Washington state. And I'm, I'm reading Montauk, you know, along the way. And, um, there's this explorer, I can't remember his name, but, um, he's the guy that disappeared in Brazil. Um, they think he may have disappeared in the caves searching for like, you know, the golden city. Um, and, and we got to this place that we had rented and, and this guy's like biographies is there, you know, there's, there, there's just these things that seem to be kind of, you know, just pointing to, you know, again, time being broken in some way, but, um, I know there's more specific things related to, to Montauk, but that was like, a couple months ago, which now feels like a couple eons ago, the way time feels like it's just speeding up. Um, but I, I will mention a conversation I had with someone recently in which she was talking about deja vu. And she said that she was having deja vu so much, it was becoming like debilitating. Um, and, and the way she was kind of describing it, I'm like, huh, like maybe what's happening is you just, um, you did some things in other timelines and, and those timelines are sort of reintegrating. So every time a new timeline reintegrates, you experience some kind of deja vu. Like it is the black cat matrix kind of thing. Maybe that's what's going on. You know, and, um, I, I, I actually uh, prescribed her to watch Donnie Darko. Like it might be maybe helpful for her. Um, but, you know, I think people are experiencing a lot of just strange things going on, um, especially after that confluence, the sort of astrological stuff. Um, I, I'm also drawn to the idea of star seeds and people kind of waking up to the, you know, what they might be needing to do in this, in this moment. Um, and so I think a lot of this stuff for me is just very active, you know, and, and I just look and try and, and, and stay present enough to see the small things um, and, you know, responsive enough to, to being a, a dick and a, and an idiot. I mean, I'm blind to a lot of stuff still. Um, and so as I'm following these new paths and directions, you can't forget, you know, some of those duties and responsibilities that, that you might still have out there, but it's a, it's a fascinating thing. It's what gives me the most hope in terms of um, seeing opportunities in, in the craziness. Um, Cause it's hard to keep that perspective. Um, I, I lose it all the time, but I find the more I get out there and talk to people and the more I'm out there in the world, that's where I'm really getting the energy to continue going forward. The more that I'm looking at Twitter and, you know, doing some of those things, I took Twitter off my phone a long time ago. Um, but I, 
everything is reinforcing how toxic the screens are. Um, I have kids that like I battle the screen every damn day. I'm trying to make sure that they're getting out. Um, you know, my wife does a lot more in terms of, you know, having to work with the remote learning that they did for, for the, the past year. But, you know, just making sure that the kids aren't getting swallowed up in this craziness. Um, we live in Montana, so we get to go out to the, the river and the, and the woods. And we're so lucky where we're at, looking at Australia, looking at some of the other places in this country. Um, I try and remind myself, like, we are still, like, in a pretty good place. This is the time to, to realize what, what you have to fight for. Um, because things are changing pretty quickly. So, yeah, no, well said. I agree with you. I think, you know, that definitely comes to mind being in the Northeast. We're like choked out by New York. You got to go through New York to get to the rest of the country out here. So that's been October 1st. October 1st is going to be the big showdown. I mean, I'm, I'm really starting to feel a lot of energy building, um, really towards, towards that, you know, what makes you say that? Um, because that's a deadline um, for a lot of people uh, in terms of employment. Right. Um, I some of the some of the people I'm working with here, um, and if you hear a little something, I got a call coming. I'm just ignoring that. Um, uh, veterans, you know, the the potential loss of uh, veteran um, services, VA services, VA benefits. Um, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people understand that in some ways the, the, the sociopathic elite have already declared war. You know, and people don't understand the, the new non-kinetic information war, psychological ops. There's not that sophisticated. Too many people just don't have that, that understanding. So, um, you know, I'm doing my best for the people I think I can kind of reach still um, to try and keep, you know, people in my local community trying to, to find who has that potential because, um, it's a crash course at this point in realizing what they're, what they're pulling off. Um, you know, if you can, if you can be, uh, on, on, you can be unvaccinated after still getting one jab, or I think it's like two weeks after your second jab, you know, um, it's just, it's incredible the language that's being used and the power that these words have over people's minds. You know, um, I, I continue to be pretty impressed in a, in a creepy way with, with what, what they're accomplishing. Um, it's like, wow, you guys have been working at this for a while. <laughs> yeah, that's why I think it's so important to have this synchromistic lens at this time so you can yeah. really navigate your life and, you know, something that I did before any of this really got off and running in a in a serious way. I mean, I don't know, maybe maybe it was pretty serious then, but I quit, you know, my normal job and just took it upon myself to become a entrepreneur and you know start yeah. my own business so to speak and of course i had an opportunity that was really beneficial to facilitate that through the tinfoil hat podcast but you know yeah, yeah. as far as you know that's concerned i mean i'm not making a lot of money through that i'm just keeping it going as best as i can and and i think you know, you, my heart goes out yeah. to all those people who are worried about their jobs right now and are put in that position yeah. but i think that was the decision i had to make to avoid you know having to face that and i i think as a free citizen of this country i don't believe that i'm going to ever have to get that jab and i really yeah i trust that but you know hey i i could be wrong and, and maybe it will be a give me liberty a give me death type moment you know 
my stance is pretty much settled with this podcast. But hey, guys, this is all for comedy purposes. If anybody's listening from Montana, like, uh, <laughs> don't get me involved. But no, I, 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 I again, dude, my, my heart goes out to what you're doing because I think, you know, the homelessness epidemic is not just, you know, something in your state. It's all across the nation, you know, someone that was really pivotal in my life was homeless at the time that I met him. Someone yeah. that I've talked about on my show. I think I mentioned him to you when we talked on the phone and he elaborated yeah. to me all these things about skull and bones and, and Geronimo and, and native American <laughs> culture. And that's so much of what I'm doing now. And, you know, I was in, in new Haven to talk to homeless people. I was in new Haven to go to community college and in between classes, I found myself, you know, in the park talking to him because that's just where all the homeless people happen to be. Yeah. And uh, I never really was afraid to just meet people because I'm pretty tall. So I'm not like easily intimidated by just like, you know, what maybe the average person from the suburbs would be intimidated by going <laughs> to the, the city, you know, because it is it, yeah. for, for being on a university. It is a pretty rough city. There's at least uh, at that time, especially in 2015, it was like top 10 in the country for one of the most dangerous cities, New Haven, Connecticut. So I definitely, oh, wow. yeah. you know, I definitely avoided some some dangerous stuff in a, in a lot of ways and learned a lot pretty quickly. But yeah, man, again, you know, I think nothing happens by accident and, you know, us yeah. having this conversation is synchronistic. You know, it, it relates in so many ways to my personal story that I've shared a lot on this show. And, and yeah, yeah. you know, I, I hope that more people in your area hear you and support you <laughs> in this venture because, you know, yeah. one of the intentions Mike and I set out when we created your handbook for the apocalypse and just like something that I had talked about with him for a while, maybe an intention really, truly I set out with the synchro mystic exploration of the ever expanding now was to help people understand how to, you know, take that understanding and apply it to their own life in a productive, yeah. proactive way. Absolutely. And there's uh, people have opportunities that they might not even understand or know about yet. Um, and those opportunities present themselves all the time. And it's really, you know, getting in tune with what you're good at, where your skills are. Um, and then we mentioned um, when we were talking, just trying to have fun. I mean, it's really important to kind of keep a certain amount of um, not amusement because, I mean, we've talked about some dark things and some, and some tough things. And I don't want to, you know, try and make light of anything. Um, my education really came not from college, but from working seven years at the shelter. I mean, I learned more understanding how people navigate um, these, these heartless, soulless systems. Um, I mean, that was my, that was my education. And then some of the people I met, um, in terms of the art that I do, I mean, I, this veteran that just sat on the footbridge by the university of Montana campus, I would talk with him all the time. And it was during the, the daytime and a few times at night, you know, I'd see some of his compadres come by and a little bit more and into the cups, you know, and, um, but I was a very pampered suburban kid myself. Um, and, and so I really have a lot to, to thank, you know, the people that helped educate me about, you know, what's kind of going on on the streets. And that's, that's why I'm in, in this position, able to help another family understand what happened to their loved one. Um, because I am able to, to be a bit of like a code switcher and go still, you know, talk to people at the camps and, um, and still have some conversations with some higher ups, you know, 
um, to be that bridge. Um, and so I think anyone that wants to, to think about synchronicities and kind of apply them in their own way, you know, think about what you're interested in in the first first place and, and you know, just stuff that, that draws your curiosity or um, and, and start with some of those small little things that just you can't get out of your head. You know, it's something that nagging, nagging at you in some way. Um, if you follow some of those those inclinations, I think you might be surprised, you know, what kind of gifts are, are there um, that, that you'll find. So I think it's good work to do. And, and the more people doing it, I think the, the better things will be in, in the long run. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, you know, I think that's a great place to uh, to end it with that in mind, you know, inspiring yeah. and, and get people to take a deeper look at some of the problems that they can solve in their own backyard. Now, Absolutely. You, mentioned, you mentioned art. Tell us about that. Tell us about what you do uh, other than, you know, investigating and going on synchronistic <laughs> journeys. You mentioned that you write poetry. Where can people find that and, and what, what will they find when they look? Yeah, yeah. So um, the, the blog that I do is called Reptile Dysfunction. So not erectile, but reptile. Uh, it looks better on the page. Every time I say it out loud, it's kind of feel a little more stupid. But um, my about page has a couple links. And so I have a Substack page where I'm writing fiction. Um, I have a link to where you can get my book of poetry, Welcome to the Covaxicon. Um, I'm working on another collection of poetry called um, Babylon by Gaslight. Um, and so I'm hoping to kind of get that out. But I'm working on a, a website, williamskink.com. I'm hoping to get that more sort of finalized here soon, I'm trying to kind of level up. Um, and another thing I wanted to just mention quickly is Legos. I don't get paid by Legos, and Legos are expensive, but um, I have created what I call a sort of um, plastic metaphorical narrative device. Um, in my shop, I have built a Lego world. Um, it's unlike anything I can even describe. You just have to... And you can't even see pictures of it, and it doesn't really do it justice. But um, I'm kind of like Richard Dreyfuss in, in the movie Close Encounters, where he's building the, the mountain out of mashed potatoes. Um, I'm doing that in my shop with Legos. And so um, Legos have been this, like, amazing kind of uh, sort of healing. Um, I just I love it. I mean, it's something for your hands to do if you want to just follow, the, um, follow the, the instructions. But I am a master builder, and so I freestyle. Um, and I, I incorporate Legos and toys into little um, figurines and sort of um, sculptures that I do. So I'm, I'm hoping to get some of that visual stuff out more uh, prominently. Um, I, I'm mo mostly focused now on just uh, updating the blog six times a week, putting a podcast out uh, once a week, um, and then the documentary that I'm working on. So I have a lot of irons in the fire, but um, when I left my, my pain gig, I basically said I'm going to throw the kitchen sink at what I'm trying to accomplish. And so that, that is what I am doing. Wow. I love it. Another synchronicity Legos were huge for me when I was a kid. I had like yes. five or six, like huge bins, you know, the plastic bins, you know, and yeah. no, not, I would never ever follow the instructions. I would just take <laughs> all the bags, open them up, pour them into my collection, and then just start over with whatever spaceship I was planning on building yeah. or, you know, whatever I had in mind. So <laughs> I, I completely 100%, you know, support if you have kids, I don't have kids, but if you have kids, figure out how to get them some Legos. I'm sure someone yeah. related to has some in their attic or someone, you know, you can ask around cause they are rare. And I, I've had friends who have kids ask me about that. Uh, oh, like, totally. And this is, this is an idea that someone needs to steal from me 
um, someone needs to do a nonprofit Lego like after school program because it's cost prohibitive for a lot of families. And if you're going on eBay, my God, man, it's still incredibly expensive just to get used Legos. So if there could ever be a, a way to, to make it more accessible for, for people, um, because it's, it, it really is some of the most fun. My kids, I'm the most happy when I see all three of my kids in the shop all doing their own little Lego thing. Uh, my oldest is 13, and so the fact that he still kind of gets in there um, and is, he's not too cool for it yet uh, it makes me so happy. So it's, it's one of the ways that I try and stay sane um, in this crazy world is, is playing with toys as an adult. So Yeah, connecting with your inner <laughs> child. That's something that my lovely girlfriend reminds me about often. <laughs> she She definitely, you know, has reminded me of how important that is. And yeah, man, I, I agree. I, one of the, the places actually that I ever, the first place I ever podcasted from with Sam Tripoli was a place called Make Haven. And I think, you know, the idea of a maker space is like broader than just this one place. It's called Make yeah, Haven yeah. because of the town it's in. But uh-huh. um, I think, yeah, people, you know, maybe don't realize that there are spots like that in your own community where you can go and learn stuff. Like Absolutely. I, I learned a couple things about podcasting that I didn't know from that place, but I was also learning stuff about uh, embroidery. I was, there was Legos there. That's why I was reminded nice. of it. And there was like a wood shop. So yeah, I think it's, it's all in the same field and, and in a yeah. sort of backdoor cognitive kind of way, playing with Legos, I think was instrumental to, you know, the way my mind sees things. So even, and Me it, too. yeah. And even, you know, even if you're like 40 years old or 50 years old and you're hearing this, like, it's not too late. You can, you can make a <laughs> no. change, you know? Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, wow. I love that you, you brought up that tangent for folks who uh, maybe Perfect. missed it. Reptile dysfunction is the name of your blog. Can yes. they find that uh, at williamskink.com or where can they go to find that? Yeah. Uh, williamskink.com does have a link um, to my actually first interview so that you can um, get to the podcast. A lot of that stuff could be changing though. Um, you know, I, I mentioned to you that I'm using anchor, not all that excited with it in terms of podcast platforms. And so um, I, I'm going to be changing some stuff. WordPress is, is a bit clunky, but, um, I think going to williamskink.com is a good first step because that gets you to the interview um, with the Stevenson sisters. And that, um, in terms of where my heart is, you know, that, that is kind of one of my central sort of motivators is, um, you know, this injustice that's happened and, and all the stuff that we can't really move forward with in this town, in this community, until some of these sort of core injustices are dealt with. And so, um, but any, any, anyone that wants to connect with me, um, willskink at yahoo.com is my email address. I um I'm on Telegram too as well. So um Travis Matier, I think, is my telegram. So yeah, any any way people want to reach out to me, I'm definitely open to continue having these types of conversations. Right on. Travis, thank you so much for joining us, man. And uh yeah, best of luck on your journey. And folks, thank you for listening to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Thank uh, you so much for having me. It's yeah. been a lot of fun. All right. Thank you for listening to another awesome episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Please, if you've made it this far, we know you're a valued listener. We'd love to have you a part of the family. Join us at patreon.com slash mftic. We got some new updates in that realm on the way, as well as a rock fin. Follow us there. Subscribe. We got free videos there as well. 
And uh, thank you so much for listening. Please check out Travis's podcast, Zoom Town. Show him some love. Just got off the ground. And of course, the scene. We got the synchro mystic exploration of the ever expanding now on the Patreon. The full episodes of five interviews that really are fundamental to understanding the world around us. I think those conversations were really great. And I think the plan is to do that at least twice a month as well as a video. So sign up on the Patreon today. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great moment wherever you are in the now. is in the air at Littleton Coin Company and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.